Welcome to Fun and Fundraising, everybody, the podcast where we talk with people behind the top nonprofit galas and fun signature fundraising events to showcase how they positively transform their communities. I'm your host, Rob Giardinelli, and today I'm so excited to have Cynthia Smoot on. Now, Cynthia, you know, is, is someone who is about who is about Dallas and knows many things about the Dallas social scene. So in addition to being a partner at her advertising firm, Gangway Advertising, she is also the social and or city editor of multiple publications, including the Katy Trail Weekly Newspaper, Park City's Lifestyle, and Curated Texan. You can also find her on Instagram at OsoCynthia. Cynthia, welcome, and I'm so excited to have you as a guest today. Well, thank you for having me. Listen, I always say, ask me for my two cents and you're going to get a quarter's worth of information. So let's go. <laughs> let's do it. And I, only a quarter. I wanted a silver. I wanted a half dollar or a silver dollar, you know, make it even more special. You got it. Anything <laughs> so, you know, it's, you know, I always like talking with people who, you know, wear multiple hats such as yourself. So in, in terms of, you know, writing and it's clearly a passion of yours because Someone who writes for multiple publications, clearly, you know, giving back is something that's a passion for you. What motivated you to begin writing and covering, you know, philanthropic events, galas and signature fundraisers? Well, I, I have worked in marketing and media marketing my entire professional career. And around 2006, 2007, I started a personal blog. Um, blogs were sort of a new thing. And I had you know, was had a couple that I followed. And I thought, you know, this would be a really fun thing for me to do. I've always loved creative writing. I love photography. And I thought it would be a way for me to sort of combine a lot of things that I like to do. Um, and so much like Sex in the City, I always say, you know, Dallas was always sort of a character in my stories, because it was really about my life, where we were going, what we were doing. Um, and that involved, you know, Dallas and various things around town, places to go, things to do, the people I would encounter. And um, I sort of stumbled into Dallas's philanthropic scene, fell in love with it and have never looked back. So it was an, a happy accident. <laughs> well, those are always the happy accidents are the best kind. And they're the type that I don't want to say they stay with you forever, but the happy accidents are what kind of all, often make you happiest in life. So, you know, what made you fall in love with the Dallas social scene? Well, I, I've always been uh, just a very social person. I love exploring and learning new things and meeting new people. And I had a Dallas socialite, Yvonne Crum, take me under her wing very early on. She met me at a function and just took a liking to me. And every time I would see her, she would you know, put her arm through mine and be like, come on, honey, I'm going to go introduce you to everybody. And, and everyone I would, in, you know, she would introduce me to, she would be like, have you met Cynthia? You need to know her. And she really sort of brought me into the Dallas social circle. Um, and she's the one who said to me, you know, all of these organizations, you know, yes, we're coming in, it's fun parties and there's champagne and fashion shows, and that's all great, but never forget the purpose. And she said, these organizations need either your time, your talents, or your treasures. And, you know, there are people who can write the big checks. And then there are people like me who maybe need to find other ways to give. And so for me, that's always been my time and my talents. And so I really look at the work that I do, whether it's through my personal blog or social media channels, whether it's through the media outlets that I write for, that's my way of giving back 
to the Dallas community and really shining a light on all of these organizations and the great work that they're doing. Because I feel like there's a lot of people out there who want to give and get involved and they just don't know how. And I and I feel like sort of the misconception is that if you can't write a big check, then there's no place for you. And that's just not true. There's so many volunteer opportunities. Um, you know, if you're an artist or a creator or own a business, those organizations need your donations for their events. And so there are just so many ways people can get involved. And that's one of the things I really love doing is, is showing people the variety of ways that you can give back. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we've talked about this on this show in other episodes, but, you know, there's really two types of, you know, people like, especially with boards, and it kind of expands larger into events, that there are the financial capital, you know, people that are, that are tied to a board or tied to a gala. And then there's the human capital people. And galas, you know, there's this misconception that galas are just a bunch of super rich people and they only do super rich things and talk about super rich things. But those are not the fun galas. The fun galas are like a tapestry and they have wide varieties of people. You know, often a lot of the nonprofits, you'll bring in people from the community because they want to see you know, donors want to see how their money's being used and what they're benefiting and all that. And I think that's an excellent spot on point that you bring up that just because you don't have a lot of money doesn't mean that you can't get involved in the philanthropic scene, whether it's Dallas, whether it's Austin, or whether it's any city for anyone that's listening. And, you know, that was just such a good point. I really appreciate you bringing that up. Well, and on the flip side, I think if you are a nonprofit, you would be wise to find ways to bring those people in because if you're if you can attract someone in their 20s and 30s when they're young they're starting out in their career maybe they don't have a lot of money but you can connect to their heart and maybe they start volunteering for you and they're you know checking in people at your event those are the people that in 10 years will be writing the big checks as they grow and develop in their careers and then their families and so you want to make those heart connections really early on so that they are lifetime supporters so it's a win-win on both ends i completely agree with that and it you know i think it'd be fun if, if you're able to um what's an example of an organization that you think has done a good job of that that they cultivate younger people who maybe aren't necessarily writing big checks to begin with but 10 15 years in they're able to do so well the first event that sprang to my mind was the dallas symphony orchestra they for 10 years or so have had a tiered philosophy to their gala. So you can, um, and now other charities have sort of adapted with what they started early on. So for their big annual gala, you know, there's the dinner and then you go into some fabulous symphony performance and then there's an after party, but they've tiered it in a way that you can buy a ticket to the entire evening, or you can just buy a ticket to the dinner and performance or you can just go to the after party. So there are several different ways you can buy in depending on your interest or your, um, you know, on your budget. So I, I think that's really smart because somebody in their, you know, mid twenties to early thirties, like they probably don't care about sitting through some long dinner, but they would love to come to the after party. Um, and so, you know, it, it's a way to sort of bring a variety of people in at a, at a variety of different levels. And again, you're sort of hooking them in. So maybe I start going to the after party and in a couple of years, you know, I, I become a, you know, a larger donor. So I think that's one smart way that people have sort of um, adjusted their event to sort of encompass a wider variety of ticket 
purchasers. That's really cool. And, you know, it's, it, what you just said says a couple of things. One is, you know, part of it's about putting yourself out there, which is, and the second part, which you talked about really well with, with Yvonne, a lot of it's networking too. And especially for people that are younger, you know, it's, when you're showcasing and you're elevating, you know, who the chairs might be or who the host committee might be, if there's someone who, you know, wants to engage with one of one of the philanthropic donors, it, it's a real it's a really organic, natural way to do it, especially if you have an affinity for that particular cause. And what I would recommend is to anyone listening, make sure anything you go to, you have an emotional tie to that cause. Don't just go just to network. The networking's a bonus, but if you have a passion and you have an interest, networking is a really critical key to, you know, can be a really critical key to your overall future professionally and beyond. Well, and from a that's a great point. From a professional standpoint, I have a lot of kids who I have mentored or maybe interned, um, haven't had an internship at our agency, and they will say to me, you know, what do you think the best way is for me to sort of break in to the to the Dallas scene? What you know, on and kind of you know, start my career. And I always say, if you are just out of college or if you've just moved to the city, if you're looking to meet people and sort of get involved, the best thing you can do is volunteer for a charity. Because to your point, whatever speaks to your heart, whether it's arts and education, whether it's children, whether it's animals, whether it's domestic violence, whether it's health issues, whatever your thing is, and everybody has a thing that they are passionate about, there are 10 charities in Dallas or Houston or Austin that do those things and need your support. So find those organizations that connect to something that you are organically interested or have an emotional connection to and just get involved. And it's such a great way to meet people who have similar interest and you're sort of all moving towards the same cause and goal. And it's just a way to really develop um, authentic relationships that will lead to social and professional opportunities. Absolutely. And for anyone who's like, who may be, you know, a little bit, um, you know, cause Cynthia and I have both done this for a while. So for anyone who um, may be a little concerned or a little scared, just remember when people are thinking, well, what could I possibly say to anybody? You're already in the room and you have something in common because you all believe in that cause. So the perfect first question is, how did you get involved in X or what drew you to X or Y? It's a really easy question and it's a super easy icebreaker and it's authentic, it's genuine, and it's a perfectly valid question with anyone that you would come across with within any gala that you're going to. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, it, it's interesting we're bringing this up because one thing I do kind of want to talk about, and you mentioned, you know, the tiering, you know, the tiering structure of the DSO opening night and how other, you know, organizations are kind of starting to follow suit throughout Dallas. What are some other, uh, you know, as a social chronicle or what are some other trends, you know, especially coming out of COVID that you're seeing with galas and fundraisers? Well, I think a big trend that I have noticed um, since we have come out of COVID in the last couple of years is sort of the reduction of scope. Um, whereas pre-COVID, you know, there was the kickoff party, a patron party, the main event. Um, we're not so much seeing all of that now. There's really like the event. Um for one thing, I think what COVID did was sort of give us a reset and make us realize how valuable our time is and what is it that we really want to be spending our time on. And the reality is that, you know, it's extremely tiring to be out 
every single night doing, <laughs> doing all the things and still have a family and still have a job. And so I think people, you know, like they, they want to get involved. They want to be social. They want to support, but like, don't ask me to come to five different things. Like, I just want to come to the party. Um, so I think we're seeing less kickoff parties, less patron parties and more intentional focus on the event. The other thing that I'm noticing is that a lot of charities, instead of focusing on maybe one fundraiser a year and trying to get 800 to 1,000 people there, they're doing maybe a spring event and a fall event and having them be smaller, more intimate, more intentional. Um, and I really like that because I think it is... Um, it just gives a completely different vibe. Um, it's it's easier for them to manage. And it's, um, you know, it's just, it, it feels a little less stressful. You know, when yes. you walk into a room with a thousand people, it can be very overwhelming and daunting. Um, but when you're in a room with three or 400 people, it just, you know, it's easier to manage from a social standpoint. Um, and I would imagine from an executional standpoint, yes. so <laughs> it, it's just a different feeling. Um, but I'm seeing a lot of that where maybe people are having a luncheon um, as a, you know, and there's, you know, the big party, but just doing some smaller things that really give them more intimate access to their donors, more of a chance to form those relationships. Absolutely. And, you know, it, I'm glad you mentioned the luncheon thing at the end of your comment there, because the thing is, with a lot of the organizations that are doing two events a year, one will be a more expensive ticket and one will be a less expensive ticket. So if you're especially looking to get involved, look to see if there's a luncheon or maybe a more casual cocktail party. Um, there's organizations in Dallas like DIFA that do multiple different things throughout the year at multiple different price points that, you know, anyone looking to be interested in dialing, you know, in dialing in and becoming involved with a nonprofit can do. So, you know, when you're doing your research, don't immediately go to the most expensive item. That may be where you want to go down the line. But if you're wanting to get involved, get involved in, you know, you can get involved in the, you know, the other signature event or, you know, because it's really now you're seeing a lot more of it's about year round engagement too with donors. And how do I do that? I think that's the other reason for the, you know, a lot of organizations kind of pivoting and having two things a year is it allows for every six months for them to go back for different reasons, a different format and do all those things. Well, and to capture a different audience. So, you know, yes. if you're, if you're doing a fashion show and luncheon, and then in the fall, you're doing a golf tournament, those are two completely separate audiences. So you're widening the net of potential donors. Absolutely. Um, and we actually had a recent podcast where we actually talked about that to a degree with one of the organizations and, you know, creating unique experiences for that. So with the Center for Child Protection and their Ride, Drive, Give event where you get to drive on Formula One racetrack, which is very different from their Dancing with the Stars gala in Austin, which has 1200 people. So, you know, it's there's different ways to get involved, and especially if you have social anxiety coming out of COVID look for that smaller event because that will make you feel more comfortable with the organization and allow you to grow as you you know feel more comfortable as well out there. Absolutely. Awesome. So, you know, talk a, a little bit about, because the thing is when you work for three publications, I'm sure you get pitched a lot by various, you know, by various organizations on, you know, to be able to attend. And like you were saying earlier, time is really in the last three years has gotten really more valuable to people. So what is one surefire way for an organization to pitch their event to the media so that, you know, whether it's yourself or another media outlet would say yes? Well, I 
think, first of all, it's always flattering to be invited. So I love getting the invitations, although I don't say yes to very many, um, just because my time is so limited. But I think that, um, you know, first of all, I think getting the information, I think it's understanding the timelines of the publications because they're all very different. So a, a print magazine will usually have a 60 to 90 day deadline. So if you want to see something in print, like, what are we, May 1st? Yeah. So these magazines are probably working on their July issue. Um, if you're a newspaper, they typically work on a 30 to 45 day timeline. Morning TV books at a 30 to 45 day timeline. Now, digital has the luxury of being a little bit more flexible. So for a, a site, maybe like Culture Map or Curated Texan, um, you know, those those are things that can sort of be published at the editor's discretion based on, you know, their own timeline. But that could be published in an hour if they so chose um, or, you know, within a week, depending on what else is on their plate. So from an organizational standpoint, I think it's really understanding the timelines of the publication and when those invitations need to go out. If you really want to get a society editor at your event, it is not a bad idea to send them a save the date six months out because my calendar books up months in advance because everybody's reaching out with their invitations, you know, and so you really, there's only so many days in the week and um, and so it's really, I think, you know, who's buzzing in my ear um, and sort of, you know, if I commit to somebody, then I'm already committed. So I think kind of sending a save the date um, as soon as you kind of have all your ducks in a row is not a bad idea. And then definitely following up 60 to 90 days out with more details and, you know, and trying to confirm that person's actual attendance is what I would recommend. That's really good. And it's really important for people to realize that, you know, it's and COVID has kind of exacerbated this, I think, to a degree of a last minute nature of things. But, you know, when you are responsible for writing stuff and think of it like writing a television season, a whole television season doesn't get written in a day. So we, you know, we as social chroniclers, we have to expand those things out and we really need to be able to kind of pace ourselves so that, you know, we don't have one great episode followed by 12 kind of boring episodes. You want to make sure that it's strong all throughout the entire season. Um, now, you know, while we're on that subject, you know, and, and in terms of just, you know, you know, being effective with timelines and really making sure to reach out effectively, what's an example of an organization that you've had a great relationship over the years media-wise? Oh, gosh, there have been um, many, but I think the I would say the Dallas Zoo um, and Broadway Dallas, which was formerly Dallas Summer Musicals, are two organizations that I think do a really good job of communicating and connecting with the media on an ongoing basis um, and understanding the timeline. So just very, um, you know, efficient with their communications, but also respectful of your timelines. Absolutely. And, you know, and again, you know, they're not just inviting Cynthia or myself to a gala. There are also like with things like Broadway Dallas, I'm sure, but there's going to be preview part, you know, season preview parties and there may be advanced screenings of stuff. So the engagement isn't just limited to that one thing. But, you know, I, I would have to believe and I know that, you know, we've covered it on any of our platforms that, that event from you many times over the years. But I think a lot of that is, is that um, th there's just a, 
they do a really good job just scheduling everything out and showcasing just the multiple multifaceted nature of that organization that compels you to want to be involved. Well, and I also think it makes me feel like they, um, you know, I don't just get a generic email. They'll email me and be like, you know, hey, we've got this new exhibit coming up and I know you really love fashion and I thought this would be of interest to you. I wanted to make sure you knew about it. So they personalize a lot of what they send. So they're really trying to create that personal relationship with me as a member of the media. Um, and I think that, you know, again, it's it's all about in PR and in media, it's all about who you know, all as an editor, you know, we get hundreds. I mean, I can't even imagine you know, if you're like the Dallas Morning News or some of these larger publications, how many emails they get a day. And so you really kind of have to be able to, you know, if if I know you and we have a relationship, you know, I'm opening your email first, or I'm at least opening it versus right. you know, 50 others that you can tell are probably not even a fit for me that I just, they got my name on some mass list, you know, and they just, you know, I might open those like two weeks later. So, I mean, I think having forming those personal relationships with your local media is really beneficial. Absolutely. And, you know, we're hiring a good publicist that as well. And Cynthia can help with that with any organization <laughs> that's looking for it. So, <laughs> so, you know, tell me, you know, so, you know, let's say you're at, you know, you've said yes, and you're going to an event. What is something that you look for when you attend a gala or a signature fundraiser? What are you looking for when you, you know, you walk in and you're kind of reading the room? Well, there's not, there's not one thing that I'm looking for. It's really how do all of the things come together? And I like big events and I like small events. What I really like are events that are thoughtfully created and executed well. And that's really what I'm looking for is just, I want it to be interesting um, I want it, I want it to touch me in some way, whether it's emotionally, you know, pulls on my heartstrings, whether it's visually stimulating, whether it's, um, you know, there's the great band, like I, I want to feel something in some way, um, or is everybody there just dressed to the nines? Is it a great Gatsby theme? Or, you know, what? like I'm looking for just something that's going to be different and interesting and make me feel some kind of way. And so I feel like that those are the events that I always like the best, which is why, you know, my my favorite events in Dallas are um, like Mad Hatters, which benefits the Arboretum because it's just so over the top with, you know, women in these <laughs> huge hats and, um, you know, and it's in this beautiful setting at the Dallas Arboretum with all their gorgeous flowers. And so, or, you know, Diffa is another one that's just over the top with the outfits and the you know, just the extravaganza of it all. It's always crazy. And so, um, and but I also love, you know, it, it doesn't have to be an all out rave spectacle. Um, I, I love Zoo to Do at the Dallas Zoo because it's held on the grounds of the zoo. And so you're doing, it's a chef sort of dine around tasting, but you have elephants and giraffes on this side and zebras on this side. And they're walking around with animals that you can pet and take pictures with. So, you know, that's an event that you can wear, you know, flats and jeans to. It's not super fancy, but it's so fun. So I love a variety of events. Um, and I'm also looking for, you know, how is that charity incorporating their message? Because I go to a lot of parties and they were great parties, 
and I get home and I go, I don't even know what we were raising money for, you know? So it's like, how are you communicating your message? Because ultimately, you know, you, I can buy a ticket and come and have a great night and you made 300 bucks off my ticket price. But if you didn't connect with me emotionally about your message, then you haven't hooked me in as a long-term donor or supporter. And ultimately that should be your goal. So I would say my number one tip to any nonprofit is invest in a good video message. If you, I was just at Chicklet Luncheon for community partners and they had the most amazing video that literally had the entire room crying in two minutes. Like it was just so impactful. And it made me walk out of there and say like, that's an event I need to write a check to. I need to support, what can I do for them? Um, because it was just such a moving video that really spoke to their message and the children that they serve in foster care um, in in the North Texas area. And so, you know, sometimes people look at video and they're like, ah, do we really need a video? It's a lot of money. It's $5,000, whatever it is. It's like, yes, that $5,000 investment is going to net you so much money. And after the gala, you can embed it on your website. You can use it on your social media channels. You can repurpose it in so many ways that I think having that video for your organization that really says, this is who we are, this is what we do, and this is why yeah. you need to support us is critical. Completely agree. And, you know, it's it's one of those where I, I, in my personal opinion, one of the things that should be the last thing to ever be cut from an event is, is really photography and videos, because you get to showcase the people, not just, you know, not just the people who show up at the event, but also how the cause is important you get so much marketing mileage out of it if it's used effectively. And especially if you have a good marketing or communications person within your organization or you have the savvy to do it. I I can't tell you how critical imagery is, especially in a world where everyone's in their phone or going to Instagram and TikTok all day. It's just such a critical piece that people really need to, um, you know, people really need to invest in really almost at all costs, I would say in doing that. So, and I'm glad you agree with that, Cynthia. So, you know, let's talk about something maybe, um, we'll call this more fun-ish, but, you know, and that is, you know, when things happen at an event, and it's so funny because as a person of the media, if they see, you see something, sometimes, you know, organizations can get mortified. And, And most of the time, usually what happens, that's a faux pas, let's say, is not, it's really not anything that I would even remember two days later but for, you know, but for their reaction. So what do you think is the best way for an organization, if something does go wrong in an event and they know media is there to handle it? Well, that's hard to answer without knowing what the faux pas is. I mean, it's like, you know, if, if there's a video that doesn't, like this happens a lot, like they go to play the video and the video's going, but the sound isn't working and then they have to stop it and they have to go back and they try and do it again. And then the sound is working, but the video's not, you know, it, sometimes it takes them a couple of times. Yeah. Um, if, you know, that's the sort of thing that I think like, I mean, people know like technology is not always our friend and things happen. So you know, and that's not the kind of thing I would write about because it's not really relevant to the overall story. Um, so those kind of things, I don't, I think people, it's like, just relax. It's fine. No one cares. We get it. Exactly. Um, exactly. And I completely agree with you with that. Like, those are the things that I don't even miss. And, and to me, sometimes the flaws that happen in an event, they can sometimes make them more fun because especially if you've got an MC and they're really quick on their feet, they may make, they may say something that gets the whole room kind of going and uproaring and laughing. And 
and it winds up that the mistake, quote unquote, it may not even really be a big mistake, winds up making it more fun for everybody because everyone's kind of laughing about it, not taking it too seriously. Now, I do have a faux pas that I can address that might be slightly different than okay. what you were So here's a faux pas that I had to deal with last year. Um, we have a, an, an, a, there's an event in town. It's very popular. And this is an, an event that I have attended and supported for 10 plus years. And I didn't get an invitation. And so I reached out to the PR team and I was like, hey, I haven't seen an invitation for this event. And they were like, yeah, well, you know, we only have a couple of media seats this year, so we're not going to be able to invite you, but we'll be happy to send you photos afterwards. Yeah. Now, that did not rub me the right way. And I thought about it for a few days and I called them back and I said, listen, first of all, um, I feel like this could have been handled better because this is an event where they're like, I understand you only have a few media seats. I get that. I also understand my place in the food chain. I don't have an ego about that. I get it. But I'm like, what you might have done, had you thought about it a little bit, is said, listen, we only have a few dinner seats, but we would love for you to come to the cocktail reception. See everybody do the silent auction, but just understand when we transition into dinner, we can't offer you a seat. I would have been like, no problem. Totally get it. I still could have gone and enjoyed it and seen people and had a personal experience that would have allowed me to give, an, to give it a more personal approach in my recap of the event versus just waiting for their recap and photos, you know, a week later. Um, because to me, that was just sort of, it was very short-sighted. And I felt could have been handled better. So I would say, think about that in that situation. <laughs> no, I, I hear I hear what you're saying. And, you know, it's and, and with a lot of events, especially the ones that raise, you know, super substantial amounts of money. You know, there's certain events where I don't even expect to get a seat. But like you said, if I can come in and mingle for 30 minutes at the cocktail party, a lot of times I have two or three things in a night anyway, or I've got other invitations that I can just go to that stop in, say hello, get kind of a vibe and a feel, see what was there, take photos of whatever live auction item or silent auction items being taken. And I have a feel for what the night is and I don't have to be there for the entire night. So, you know, it, it's important, especially when you're gauging and you're wanting to court publicity. And the thing with a nonprofit is any anyone who does nonprofit publicity is almost universally going to really only put a positive spin on it because really what you're doing is you're promoting the good and helping others. So just make sure that you're keeping that in mind. And just because you can't give someone everything that they want that they may be used to, there, there's still a way. And to me, that, that's the thing. There's always a way to accommodate, you know, especially if you're trying to court press and, you know, get the word out to the community. And, you know, I think that's really good advice, Cynthia, on, you know, how an organization, if they don't have enough seats, a perfect alternative is come to the cocktail party or better yet, come to the after party if there's an after party, because those are things where you're not seated and seats are kind of, they're almost like anchors. You can kind of think of it that way. Whereas if you're, you know, at an after party or a cocktail party, there's no, th there may be like lounge seating, but there's yeah. you're not fixed in a space. I love them. There's a good chance that had they invited me, 
there's a really good chance I probably would have said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to pass like, uh, you know, for whatever reason, and just send me the photos and the recap. I've, you know, I've been for 10 years. I, I understand what's happening. Like we're good, but it was just sort of the fact that they basically were like, you know, you're not good enough to invite, but you're good enough that we're going to send you the photos and want you to do something with them that I was like, that didn't sit well with me. Yeah. So I think it's really understanding, like, you know, understanding those relationships, also understanding who has been supporting you and, and that you need to dance with the ones who brung you. And, you know, it's, again, it's all about relationships. And so I think it's, um, you know, there's, like you said, there's always a way, there's always opportunities to include people and just saying like, you know, do you have an interest in coming? And yeah. if I, that, that could have been like, do you have an interest in coming? And if I had said yes, then they could have been like, well, here are the options. So I just felt like that could have been handled better. So I think it's, um, it's just really, again, trying to create those relationships with your local media and working with them in the best that you can. Absolutely. And there's also so many causes that, you know, there's, you know, it's certain causes are fun to cover, but it, it I always like to say that no one should be on everybody's guest list all the time for maybe the entire program, but there's ways to incorporate and include um, in, you know, in ways to, that can kind of accommodate everybody and kind of accommodate the space, you know, especially if you're doing a multi-phased or multi-tiered night, th there's definitely ways that you can work around that. So, you know, before we go though, Cynthia, I want to talk about one more thing. And that is really, you know, what you really do, which is you provide post-event coverage, um, you know, for a lot of nonprofit organizations. So talk a little bit about, you know, why you, why post-media event coverage for a gala or a signature fundraiser is so important. Right. So after the event has already happened and you've raised your money, it's like, why does it even matter if you get post-event press? Um, I think it's very important for several reasons. First of all, your, um, the people who attended the event, like everybody loves to see their picture in the paper. So it's just thrilling for the guests who are there. And it's a really nice way to say thank you to the event chairs, to the honorary chairs, to some of your larger donors who have really, um, you know, done the hard work and written the big checks to make this thing happen. It's a way to give them some acknowledgement um, in these post-event photos that really sort of highlight, you know, the work that they do and the beautiful dress that they wore doing it that night. Um, but I also think it's a great sponsor tool so that when you go back the next year and you're trying to sell sponsorships for this event, you can say, look at all the press we got pre and post. And post-event press is really where you have the opportunity to highlight sponsors in a way that perhaps you don't have as much control over pre-event because you can include photos of your sponsors um, in those media selects and and you just have a little bit more um, opportunity to highlight them as, as opposed to pre-event press where it's just more about kind of the who, what, when, where, not so much about the sponsors. So I feel like that um, it's, a, it's a great tool for sponsorship selling. And again, just a nice way to say thank you to the people who did the work. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, that you say that because, you know, like with pre-event, you you have the who, what, when, where, but it's amazing what people don't see in a list that they do in a post-event coverage where they're going through the photos and they see a person's image because they may just read the, you know, read it because they're on the email list and not even see the person's name. But then they see, you know, that they're on maybe the host committee or something. Then they 
then they go to the post event covers and they see they were there and they're like, oh, I got to go next year. So it's, you well, know, there's definitely a currency in that. There, It's those photos that really tell the story. So, I mean, I can see a printed invitation. So for example, um, Broadway Dallas just had their annual gala. The theme was Moulin Rouge. And, and, you know, so it was a beautiful invitation, but it's a flat invitation. When you see the post event photos, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I missed this. I have to go to whatever they're doing next year because there were Cirque du Soleil performers. There was a ringmaster. There was a huge el botanical elephant outside. Like it, it was stunning and, you know, just visually over the top. And so it was one of those events where, you know, the photos really told the story and it was, it made you want to be there and be sad if you were not there. So, and it, it's almost pre-selling for the next year because it's telling that story. Diffa is another great example. You know, their photos are always so amazing and it makes you have FOMO and you're like, I have to go to this event next year. So it's almost in a way it's, it's helping build that anticipation for the next year's event. Absolutely. And it's funny because like when we had the Dallas Arboretum as a guest, they literally talked about how there are literally some people who want to know the theme right away and they know the theme right away for the next year because they literally the day after Bat Mad Hatters are starting the hat planning process <laughs> for the next year. So I mean, I believe it. there's definitely something with that. And I got to tell you that um, Hamilton and Jan and the whole team, you know, really with Broadway Dallas knocked out of the park. I saw it. I, I woke up on Sunday morning and I mean, I live in Austin and I probably had more posts on that than any other event going on in the state that night. I mean, it was just, it was really, really spectacularly done. And, you know, it's, you know, it's the sign of a great party is, you know, when you, you know, is that you want to go back the next year and the sign of being a good guest is you get invited back the next year. And Cynthia, I hope that we can do this maybe once a year because <laughs> this was a lot of fun and that, you know, you'll come back again and, you know, share your insights and wisdom because it was really a lot of fun doing that today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you. Fantastic. So for more information on how to work with Cynthia, you can visit gangwayadvertising.com or find her on Instagram at Cynthia. And that's all for today's episode of Fun and Fundraising. I'm Rob Giardinelli reminding you to keep it fun, keep it interesting, and your guests will have a great time. Have a great day, everyone, and take care. <laughs>